We are in the sort of the beginning quarter or third of a capital campaign. If you've been around for a couple weeks, a couple months, you know that we are making room. Our, the name of our series, our campaign is Making Room. And our plan, we haven't fi totally finalized everything yet. Our plan is to build a new auditorium right connected to the front here, cover the patio, uh, make it a, on mornings like this, especially when it's raining or really cold as it's been, it'd be really nice to have an indoor lobby, fellowship area where we can all go and have a great time together without the weather. So we're working on that. Also in the middle of the summer in August, it's really nice to have an indoor space if you've been here then. So uh, we're working on that. We're in a capital campaign to raise funds, a whole bunch of money to help pay for that. And uh, so that's what we do. So the theme verse that I feel God has given us, it's very, I think God wrote it just for us. It's in Isaiah 54, verse 2, and here's what it says. In your notes, up on the screen, God says, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. Is that pretty clear or what? Okay. And then in verse 3, right after the next phrase up here on the screen says this, for you will be bursting at the seams. So, oh, hey. Uh, I think even though it was written 3,000 years ago, I think it's just for us in this very moment that we're going through. So we're doing just that. We are making room on our campus for more people. And we're hoping and praying that we as well will be bursting at the seams as, as a result of this. But in order for us to make room on our campus, as far as facilities, each one of us, we need to first of all make room here in our lives for God. And it starts by us simply believing in him, believing in God, who he is, believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and committing our lives to him. That is how making room begins. Then the next step is for us to begin making room for God uh, by being able to begin to see things the way God does so that we can do things the way God wants us to do them. And it starts with our eyes. We make room in our eyes to be able to see what God is doing and how he does it. It has to do with our vision. We also make room with, for God in our heart that we begin to have the same passion and the same feeling that God does. We'll talk more about all these. And the last one is to make, this is a big one, that we make room in our minds to begin thinking the way God thinks. So, that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about this, but, you know, we have plans for a facility, a building, but before we go there, for all of us, we have to start here. It always starts with us, our hearts, our minds, and even our eyes. So, what does it mean to make room for us to embrace what God is doing in our lives and in our church, okay? Write in your notes, we're gonna start with number one. It starts by us seeing things the way that God sees them. It, it, we use our eyes, we, it's, it's God's vision and my vision together. See, the thing is, when we talk about vision, some of you know what vision is, it's more than just seeing with our eyes. Vision is sort of, uh, being able to spiritually see 
what God wants to do in your life and also through your life. Being able to comprehend it, embrace it, to be able to see it. At Abundant Life Church, we have a vision. And I'll just give you my short version of the vision. It's this, that we as a people, as a church, we do whatever's necessary to connect with, to reach, and to influence as many people as we possibly can in our community and in the world with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, that's why we're here. We're not here for us just to feel good. We're not just here for us to have a great worship experience. We are here to reach the people of our community and to do whatever it takes to do that. That is our vision. That's what we want to accomplish. And as we pursue that vision, we make decisions along the way to be able to accomplish that and to do it even better. And we've recently made that kind of a decision. As elders, as a leadership team here at Abundant Life Church, we have made the decision that now is the time for us to obey God and to move forward into making more room for more people here in the Sarasota area. That's, our, that's where we're at right now. Now here's the thing. Every clear and concise vision always requires decisions and actions. Okay? If you've probably been around somebody, maybe you are that somebody, you've got a lot of ideas. I mean, ideas just, they're just constantly flying out of your head, right? Your mouth and, oh, we could do that. Oh, we could do that. Great. But it only becomes vision when there's action with it. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of ideas. So for us to have vision means we have to do something about it. Not just make decisions, but there needs to be action with those decisions. God also has a vision. God has a vision for the world. Did you know that? Well, if you want to know what God's vision is for the world, read the last several chapters of the book of Revelation. That's God's vision. That's, not only does he see it happening, he's going to make it happen. But he's got a vision for people, for all of mankind. He's got a vision for us as a church, together. But you know what the really cool part is? God has a vision for you. You personally. And he had this plan, this purpose, this vision, this calling on your life before you ever were born and he's never he's never swayed from that you are that important to him that he had you thought about and he had a vision for you to accomplish while you are alive here on this earth but the problem is we as humans we oftentimes have a difficult time understanding God's vision understanding who God is and what he wants to do. An example of this, look what it says in Isaiah 55. God says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as high as the heavens, just as, just as the heavens are higher than the earth and my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're not just different. They're higher 
They're better. They're more amazing. And as a result, when we have a hard time thinking God's thoughts, which we all do, and when we have a hard time understanding God's ways, you know what we do in our humanity, our humanness? We tend to impose onto God what we think he should be doing. We may not say it, but we would say, God, why did you, you should have done this. If I were God, this is what I would do. Now, you won't admit it, right? But we do that sometimes. Every time we question God, God, why did you do that? Why did you do it this way? Why all these things coming along? As if you're questioning God's judgment and his methods and his ways of doing things. And God just said, look, mine are higher than yours. My thoughts, my ways are higher than yours in, in every way. And here's what he says, Isaiah 40, in verse 13, in 14, he says, Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows, enough to him, who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Does someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? I mean, the answer, of course not. I mean, who can advise God? If they could, then they'd be God, right? And God wouldn't be God. We could go a long ways with that one. But God is God. And here's the thing. God's vision, not just vision for life, but his, his ability to see. What God sees and how he sees is just so much greater and far beyond what we we're able to see. It's sort of, it's like the Goodyear blimp, right? How many of you have ever personally seen the Goodyear blimp flying over? Oh, wow. Isn't it cool or what? Really neat, right? I mean, the Goodyear blimp shows up at most of the major, like, sporting events. It's, I'm pretty sure it's going to be over the Super Bowl this afternoon, right? It was over a golf tournament I was watching yesterday. And it hovers somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 feet above an event, it's got this huge camera on the bottom, and this camera from a 1,500 feet above can zoom in on one person. I mean, it's that, that intense of a camera. Or it can pan out, and it can see everything that's going on all around it. That's how God sees things. God sees everything and everyone, that, things that are going on around you right now. And he says this in Isaiah 46, verse 10. He says, only, this is what God says, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Now, why is God able to see the future? Because he's the one who makes the future. <laughs> he's the one doing it, right? He can see what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. Because he's already in tomorrow. See, the only thing that you and I can see in our limited vision is what has happened in the past, things that you've experienced in the past. You see those, see those things. You know those things. And what is happening right now, this very moment. The only thing that, the only thing that you can see right now with your eyes is what is going on in front of you this very moment. But God's not locked into this moment. 
God's, God can see what's happening outside of this room right now. He sees everything happening in this community right now. He sees everything happening in the world at this moment, but he's not even limited to the moment. God sees what's about to happen later today. You can check with him about the Super Bowl uh, results. I'm not sure. Okay. Let me, let me, can I do a sidebar on this one? You ever pray for a certain team in a, in a, to win at the Super Bowl? I, I would say don't put too much into that because there's people praying for the other side. Okay, what's God going to do, right? Um, so, sorry about that. Let's go back. Okay, but God sees everything that is happening and also everything that's going to happen. And here's the thing. When we fully commit our lives and our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that what God is doing, that what God asks you to do, he, you can trust him because he knows what's going to happen. But you don't. So you have to trust him for that. Number two, the second thing, okay? First thing is our vision, how we see how God sees. And the second thing, if we're going to embrace how God does things, I need to feel the way God feels. It's by feeling the way God feels. Because God, how does God feel? Well, God has extreme compassion on every person. Every person. You think of the worst people in the world right now, and God's compassion for them is no different than it is for you. And you're like, how does God do that? I don't know. He's God, and we're not. So what is God's vision? We just talked earlier about God has a vision. Well, here's a glimpse into God's vision for us in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake, for our sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. I want you to grab a hold of that thought. Everything that is happening has ever happened in the world. Behind it, God is wanting every human being to get saved. Everyone. There isn't a person on this planet ever in the past, right now, or in the future that God would say, I don't want them. Everyone, until the day they die, is redeemable if they repent and come to Jesus. That's his vision. That's his passion for all of us. So why is God tarrying? Why, why is it taking so long for God to do something amazing in the world? He's giving everyone a chance. Now we know from experience, we also know from Scripture, that not everyone's going to do that. Unfortunately. But that doesn't deter him from having that as a passion and a vision for all of us. His vision and passion was also demonstrated by his sacrifice for us. I just, th this one just really blows my mind. In Romans 5.8, it says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, it's like, talk about God's ways being way above mine. 
You know, for me as a human, I think probably most of us here, we would, I would sacrifice something for you, number one, if I knew it was worth it, and if I knew maybe in my response to something you did for me. It's, it's not that hard. But to think about me sacrificing anything for someone who definitely doesn't deserve it, who doesn't even appreciate it, who barely even would know that I did it, and they did nothing to deserve it. <laughs> but that's not what God does. He loved us, everyone, so much that even before and even while every one of us were rejecting God, Christ died for us. He gave Jesus. That's how much he loves us. That's the kind of sacrifice that he's given each one of us. His very best. God gave his best for us. Jesus gave us a great example to show us what the Father's kind of love is. There's a story, you've probably all heard about it. Uh, some, some places call it the prodigal son, some call it the prodigal father, whatever. Anyways, it's about a father having two sons. The youngest sons came to his dad one time and said, Dad, I, I know that you're very wealthy, and when you die, I'm going to inherit a lot of money. I don't want to wait. Can I just have it now, like my inheritance? And the father, okay, go ahead if that's what you want. He gives it to him. The son goes and just blows it off, squanders it, uses it for really evil, bad things, finds himself in a really, really bad place. I mean, he's literally in a pig pen feeding pigs. And he's thinking to himself, this is horrible. I really messed up. Maybe I could go back to my dad and maybe I could work for him. I definitely don't deserve to be his son anymore. And he at least would feed me. He would give me shelter. I'd have a place to live. So he goes back to him. And the father did something amazing. Here's what it says, Luke 15, 20. So the son got up. He went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Jesus is describing the heavenly father as the father of the son here. He ran to his son, the father did, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's the kind of love, compassion, and passion that the heavenly father has for you, no matter how far you stray, no matter how far off the path you get and how far your own way you go, every time you turn back around and you come back, God is running to you with arms open wide ready to embrace you and welcome you back. So just know that. You're never too far gone as long as you're alive. That's what Jesus describes the Father like. This is how much God loves us. His passion shows us. Number, here, here's the main thing. God will do whatever it takes to see people get saved. And because of that, I have to ask you this question for each one of us, but us for us as a church. Are we that passionate? Are you 
personally that passionate about people getting saved? Are we as a church that passionate about people get, getting saved that we are willing to, even if it requires us to sacrifice, would you be willing to sacrifice to see people get saved? Would you be willing to be uncomfortable, to come out of your comfort zone to see more people get saved? Or how about when it requires things being done differently than if you were to do them? That's a big one, right? I'll give my life down. I'll give my life for you, but boy, I, bet I want my own way. I want to be able to make my own decisions. That's a challenge for all of us. That's where we're at as a church today. Are we willing, as a church, maybe you're visiting here today, how about you personally, or maybe the church you're from, or place you're from, are you willing, are you that passionate about seeing people come to Jesus that you are willing to sacrifice, to give up something? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to allow things to be done differently than what you personally would do them if you were in charge? God loves us that much. Making room for God means that we open up our hearts to become more like Jesus and to feel the way God feels, especially about people. Okay, number three, last one. All right, to embrace doing things the way God does, we have to see with how he sees, feel how he feels, and we have to think the way that God thinks. By thinking the way that God thinks. And we do this by having our minds renewed. You know, one of the things when you get saved, one of the things that isn't instantly changed is the way you think. I mean, many of us, we get saved and we, you know, we, we're... We, we feel different, our perspective is different, we, we know that we're forgiven, and all of a sudden there's some spiritual things that we really grab a hold of, we know we have a home in heaven, but we still battle with the way we used to think about a lot of things. And, and it says in Ephesians 4.23, it says, let the Spirit change your way of thinking to begin to think more like God thinks. Romans 12, Paul says, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the changing the way you think is a really big deal. So into what? What does God want you to be thinking about or thinking like? 1 Corinthians 2 says this. Uh, and he, for the first part of this verse he quotes from Isaiah, which we just read earlier. It says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But then he switches gears and brings it right to where they are at the moment. But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Folks, this is really earth-shattering. Let me explain why. In the Old Testament, people lived by the law. They had to do what God said because he said so. But Jesus came along, and we saw from other verses, there wasn't a way for people to have a real personal relationship with God. It was more, you trust me, you obey me, you're fine. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, he changes everything. Through his life, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, he changed everything, including the rules. 
Jesus said one time, look, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. So from the time Jesus showed up until the time he went back into heaven after his resurrection, he narrowed 813 laws down to two. He said, you love God, you love people, you got it. That's it. That was very stretching for the Pharisees because they were known to memorize and follow every little law to the T. And he said, no longer do you have to offer animal sacrifices in the temple. I am the Lamb of God who gave, <laughs> I am the one that's being sacrificed from now till eternity. No more. Oh, so many things. But the big thing right here that Paul is telling the church in Corinth, he said, in the Old Testament, he says in the law, it's a, who can teach God? Who can tell God what to say, what to think? And then he says, however, we can get a glimpse into that because we now have the mind of Christ. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, in your heart, he's controlling your, the way you live. Here's what you can know. You can begin to think like God thinks. Things about God, things that God does, begin to make some sense to your mind. Why? Because Jesus Christ in you is helping you to begin to understand those things. We don't have to live blindly anymore. Jesus changed everything. That's why I'm telling you this morning that if you completely surrender your heart, your mind, your eyes to Jesus Christ, you can begin to see the way God sees you can begin to feel the way God feels, and you can begin to think the way God thinks because you now have a glimpse into the way that God does things. It is that powerful. Why is thinking, why is our thinking so important? Because how you think determines everything. It, it's how you make decisions. It's your perspective. It's how you live your life. I mean, think about it today. We know people everywhere who are thinking wrongly. And as a result, they're doing wrongly, right? And so do we sometimes. You've made a decision, and it's been a bad one. But at the time, you made the decision based on the information you had at the moment but after a while, you realized you had the wrong information, therefore you made the wrong decision, you ended up in the wrong place, right? That's how it is. When we begin to think like God does, then we begin to see what God sees, and then we can begin to make decisions based on that. And here's the thing. There's going to be times, you've experienced it, I have, that you sense God's telling you to do something. Maybe because you read the Bible, and it's showing you some things. Or maybe because God spoke to you, an impression, a thought, a word. And in your mind you're going, God, that's crazy. What do you think? There's no way, God. Are you sure? And we have this battle. But here's the thing. I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. Are you paying attention? Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. Every time. That's why my need to re reason and figure things out sometimes is often a hindrance to me saying yes to God 
when he calls me to do something, even for us. Maybe you as a, a, a couple, you as a family, us as a church. We sense God wanting us to do something, but God, that sure doesn't make sense. Are you, are, there's no way you could be saying that. I love this next verse, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Now, I, I know I, I say it a lot. This is one of my favorite verses, so I'm not going to apologize for using it a lot. But I'm going to add the seventh verse onto there, okay? It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. What is your own understanding? Just your way of doing things, how you make decisions, your, your reasoning. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the, which path to take. Then it says in verse 7, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's the thing. You constantly, we do, every one of us, Every moment of every day, you have a choice to make. Are you going to choose the reasoning, the wisdom, and the experience that you personally have? Or are you going to choose God's wisdom when the two are at odds with each other? You have a choice to make. Because some of the things that you sense God telling you to do, telling you to say, going where he wants you to go... In your mind, in your wisdom, in your experience, you go, God, no way. That does not add up. God, that surely couldn't be you, even though I really feel it is you. There's no way you could say that. God says you have a choice. You're going to trust me or you're going to trust yourself? What's it going to be? Are you going to trust worldly wisdom? Or are you going to trust God? Let me give you an example of the two differences. Jesus gives us this verse in Matthew 19, 26. It says, Jesus looked, into, looked at them intently, like very directly, intentionally. Looked in their eyes. And he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, what is? You read the rest. Everything, Everything is possible. Isn't that cool? I was working on this verse, and then yesterday in the mail, I got this bookmark. And on the front, it said, it says, God specializes in the impossible. You know what it says on the back? Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You ever enjoy a confirmation? That's pretty cool. That means pay attention, folks. <laughs> Maybe it means, Vernon, you pay attention. Here's the thing. Jesus says in this verse, humanly speaking, what does that mean? It means in our human reasoning, our human intellect, our human ability to figure things out. There are things that just are impossible, right? There are some things that you would say, nope, there's no way. I can never do that. I don't have the ability. It's just impossible, in our humanness, there are things like that. But it says, with God, all things are... In other words, impossible does not at all describe anything God thinks or feels. There's nothing impossible. Now, there are many things God won't do, but there's nothing he can't do if he wants to. It says, with God. What does that mean? Well, two things specifically... When it says, with God, all things are possible, it means in his way of thinking. With God, the way he thinks, nothing is impossible. 
But then the other one is very obvious. It's with God. That means when God is present with you, and when is, if you're a believer, where, when is God present with you? All the time. Nothing is impossible. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know that nothing is impossible. Some of you right now, you are facing a very impossible situation. You're in a situation, you're, you're having a hard time. It may be your health, it may be finances, it may be a marriage, a family, relationship, a circumstance, a decision you're trying to make. It, it, it is impossible for you. I want you to know this morning, it's possible with God. God can do the, what we think is the impossible. Now for him, it's not, the, when we say God can do the impossible, it's not, he's not doing the impossible for him. He's doing our impossible, which is possible for him. Something like that, right? Okay, okay. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, don't fool yourselves. If any of you think you are wise in the things of this world, you will have to become foolish before you can truly be truly wise. This is because God considers the wisdom of this world to be foolish. It is just as scriptures say, God catches the wise when they try to outsmart him. The scriptures also say the Lord knows that the plans made by wise people are what? Useless. That, I mean, aren't we told to think things through, to be smart about it, you know, write lists, where's the pros and cons and figure everything out? Sometimes that's helpful. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes what God is going to tell you to do does not make one bit of sense here but it does to him. You're going to have a choice to make, folks. You're going to have to make some decisions. Which way are you going to go with this? And it says the wisdom of the world. What is that? It's just the really smart things that we usually live by. There are two things that affect my ability to really do things God's way. The one of them is, is just, it's my mind, okay? It's just, it just doesn't make sense. The other one is my heart. Doesn't feel right. It's out of my comfort zone. I've never done that before. That's with my heart. Both your mind and your heart can be an extremely difficult challenge, even an enemy, to you doing what God wants you to do. So when somebody says, well, just follow your heart. <laughs> nah, that's not usually the wise thing. You follow God, because sometimes, what does the Bible say about our heart? It is evil above all else, right? Sometimes our heart deceives us desperately. We follow what God says to do. Now, how do we know? We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Listening to God's voice. You know, knowing God's will. But one of the things I've learned is that sometimes the best, most amazing, miraculous blessings of God, experiences from Him, come at some of the most 
unexpected situations and answers. Bringing this home. This is this capital campaign we're doing. This is the fifth one that Lori and I have participated in in our, in our years of ministry. It's the third one here at Abundant Life. We had uh, two more at a previous church we were at. And every time, every time that we go into a capital campaign, I know for myself and Lori as well as we talk and pray, there, there's immediately a number that comes to my mind. And it's, usually, it's a sacrificial number. And it's, it's a little bit stretching. And my thought is, I could probably swing that. Now, a capital campaign is basically each one of us making a commitment of giving over three years. This is how much we believe God is called, asking me to give over a three-year time period. You can give it in one chunk, you can give it weekly, monthly, and whatever it is. And so for us, it's always been, I think we could do this. This would be a big, this would be a sacrifice, but we could do it. Every time, every time when we pray and we ask God, the number he gives us is a no way, God. There's no way that could be you. It is, it is just way out of our wheelhouse. I mean, it is beyond our ability to even do it at all, to even think about doing it. We have to make a decision. So far, and it plan, I plan on it staying this way, every time we've, made God, we've taken God's number, and I don't know how, I just admit, I don't know how, it doesn't add up, but every time God somehow provides the number that he gave us to put down on that commitment card. It's come through. Sometimes it's like the 99th and a half hour, or 59th, whatever it is, 23rd and a half hour, the last minute. Sometimes it comes from the most unexpected place. Sometimes it's through someone else. Sometimes it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it always, when it's God, it always shows up. It always happens. So when you guys are seeking God and you're praying and he gives you a number, you as a couple, you're unified, you as a family, you're unified on the, just know this. If you have the courage to commit to it, God has the resources to provide it. Every time. He may make you sweat for two and three quarters years. But he's going to come through. The other thing when it comes to reasoning and doing things God's way, one of the thoughts, and we as elders and the leadership team, we had this. Before we made this decision, one of the things we had to sort of navigate is now. <laughs> God, is this really a good time for us to be thinking about and planning this building project and moving forward with this? I mean, the world is a mess there's so much chaos and upheaval and uncertainty in the world. And by the way, God, did you notice the prices of all the, re all the building products? I don't know if you watch the news lately, but it's pretty high. God, is this really the right time? It's a good question, right? You want the answer? God told us very unequivocally. Now's the time. And that's why we made the decision. God told us to do it. That's the bottom line. But the, there's other, two other words that really come to mind as we think about this. And one of them is the word urgency. I really believe that the world, our world right now, is coming to a place 
very quickly where many, many things are about to change for all of us. And I believe there's going to be a lot of people in a very desperate place without God really, really soon. There are now, but there's a lot of people going to realize it really soon. And the urgency part is we have to do whatever it takes to reach more people as soon as we can. We don't have time to waste. The other word is hope. There's just a lot of hopelessness in the world. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's a lot of hopelessness in our world today. Guess what we have? We have hope. We have, as a church, as Christians, we have everything that the world needs through Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, one of the phrases I love is that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. And God wants us, I believe he wants us to position ourselves to be that hope, to be that influence in our community, in our world, as soon as we possibly can, because God has so many people that he wants to give hope to through us, and we have to be ready to gather them, disciple them, equip them, and send them out to do exactly what we're all doing. So is now the right time? In worldly wisdom, it is a horrible time to do what we're doing. Godly wisdom, it's the perfect time. It's exactly the right time to do what God is calling us to do. That's for us. How about you? What has God been asking you to do? And you've been hesitating. Number one, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. But number two, it's like, I don't really know if I want to. Maybe you don't have that vision and that passion. You can't see a reason why. Not only a reason how, but the why. God brought every one of you here this morning to say, now's the time. Do not delay I've called you. It's time for you to respond, to say yes, because I have some amazing things I want to do in and through each one of you.